He's the world's first and greatest hero, but I want you to know that he's an even better man. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Bivey. And today we're going to talk about Superman and Lois here on Genreless. Hello and welcome to our ongoing exploration of the Arrowverse and to our larger level superhero shows as a whole. We have reached, finally, a Superman show that actually has Superman in it, which is surprising. We don't have so, Superboy, we don't have Supergirl, it's Superman. I was shocked that when I turned when I started watching this, it was in black and white, and he was dodging people when they would throw revolvers at him. So, <laughs> And you have the cast all wrong. By the way, too, I think the last name was Reeves for Superman, so I'm not sure which show you watched. Oh yeah, so um, there turns out there are a couple different shows with Superman in them. Maybe you watched the wrong one. Um, and also, there are, it's funny that it is amusing to me still that there are two different actors named Reeves who have played Superman, and they're not at all related, as far as I know. Uh, but I do want to start by saying I made a horrible mistake last episode. Something I shouldn't have done. And I, do, I shouldn't have done it when I said it. And I still did it. And I regret it. I try not to prejudice uh, what I going to talk about the next episode. And certainly not when I've only watched one episode of a show. And so I was like, this is the best Superman thing I've ever seen. And then I watched the other episodes. It's still, I mean, I still think it's an okay show. But I, I realized I said high expectations. <laughs> into this i shouldn't have done that i'm trying to do it in the future um i was just so eager to 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 get something cool out of that 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 batwoman conversation um that that i jumped the gun a bit so i apologize to my audience and to chris for for unfairly setting expectations so the first pilot episode which we're going to get there in a second but i will say it had an obvious budget enhancement over a lot of the other shows on the CW. Oh yeah. Lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, certainly it, it is a very pretty show. Um, uh, and we'll talk about the pilot uh, in, in a minute, but um, uh, we should go back. I mean, we do this whole earth one where the comic books like it's, it's Superman. I mean, at this point, Superman is with Sherlock Holmes and one of the most recognizable char- fictional characters in the world. But rather than going into, he's a guy from Krypton and he flies and he gets power from something, we all know this stuff. Um, so instead, uh, I wanted to specifically talk about kind of extremely roughly where this is comic book wise. And, and I want to start by saying my Superman knowledge is extremely low. This is just based on when I was had DC Infinite last year and poked around Superman comics. So so this is pretty low, low bar research. But it does seem like this is shooting for kind of mid nineties Superman. Uh, this is after um, crisis on infinite earths where Superman was rebooted. Um, but he was actually married to Lois Lane in the mid nineties. And the comic was definitely more into the, the drama of Superman. Uh, this is also when Superman was arguably one of his uh, popular peaks. Um, there were four different comics was Superman uh, at DC at the time. Uh, so basically there was a Superman comic every week. And at this point, it's often called the triangle era because there's a little triangle on the cover 
that told you what order to read each of these four different comics in because at a certain point in time, it just became one long comic that happened to have four different <laughs> creative teams on it. Uh, so the whole Superman married to Lois being well entrenched in the superhuman community, uh, a lot of Kryptonian mythos being cropped up. It, it does evoke that kind of mid nineties post John Byrne era before uh, Superman started getting pretty heavily. He was killed and he came back as a lightning person. And then he had long hair and it gets weird after a certain point. We're not quite to that stage of nineties Superman. You mean where Although Superman some, had a Jesus metaphor? It wasn't a metaphor really. It was just kind of, it wasn't subtext. It was text. It was just like, <laughs> I'm the savior of the world. And I've come back from the dead. <laughs> It's like, geez, could you be a little more on the nose there, buddy? Um, I think only if he shot someone with heat vision and said, by the power of Nazareth, could he have been a little <laughs> bit more on, on point? <laughs> Although, to be fair, Grant Morrison took the text and actually went some interesting directions with it in the JLA comic in this time period. So, I mean, the the whole superhumans as gods, I just kind of said, okay, what if, that's, what if we just take that as red? And, you know put an angel on the justice league because it's grant morrison they could do whatever the hell they want with superhero comics amazing apparently <laughs> well depending on which version you want to go with diana is literally the daughter of a god running around yep. with these humans or right. she's made of clay i kind of like the god the god one better than made of clay but that's just my own yeah not as, not, not as exciting admittedly um so but uh, in a, oh, a slight marvel digression <clears throat> yeah do you know the Avenger that defeated Zeus by themselves? Technically, the team was there, but they did the actual heavy lifting. It's not Hercules. Hercules if it sells. helps, I will say it's, it's when Zeus was mad because the Avengers let Hercules get beat up. It's a deep pull. It's Is, it the vision? Back. Is it Vision? Is that your final answer? Yes. Uh, it was Monica Rambeau, and she like and that's one of the reasons they then had her use all her power, that's so they right. aged her out of being the leader of the Avengers. That's right. That's right. And I specifically referenced it because you know the Marvels is coming up in a couple months, and so I was thinking about that. Yes, because I, now that you mentioned, I do remember that because uh, <clears throat> um, although I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, I do remember the not canonical, which then later became canonical run, uh, where she was the leader of a team with like machine man and some other people. And she kept going on about how, like I wasn't, I was in charge of the Avengers for like you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, like I, I think it was the next gen or like some next other wave. variant they did. Yeah. Next wave, that was, I was trying to think of the name of it. I was like, ah, oh, it's next wave. Um, which is again, very complicated feelings comic, but I like the fact that even though they did it humorously, they still reference the fact that she was in charge of the Avengers for a while. Yeah. Sorry. Died, uh, side aggression over. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, uh, but I mean, it's, it's interesting because like, this is also, this, this show is also kind of in a weird place because like I said, there's a lot of Superman media. Uh, this is not the first Superman television show. This is, I am the first Superman television show where he's married to Lois. Um, uh, this is, heavily inspired let's say by not only the comic books but also we're now looking at a show that's heavily inspired by the the television and movie media that came before like you referenced you know there was the superman serials in the 50s which is basically a television show in structure um you know the radio shows even before that so serialized 
drama outside of comic books for Superman is by no stretch of imagination new. So it's interesting some of the choices they made going into this. It, it's some of the choices are less interesting. But uh, I think this is one of those cases where we could talk about the comics context, but it's more relevant to talk about the, the television and movie context of Superman because it's such – like Batman, he's a character that's been repeated and replicated so many times. So many actors have portrayed him. So that's going to be something that at least I was thinking of as I was watching this. I could see that. You could also go for the model that almost every single one of those other serials and stories was an Elseworlds story. And we're eventually trying to work our way to the Earth One. I think for DC, it's not the six one six or Prime. Well, technically, I think DC had a Prime Earth, but that uh, Elseworld shenanigans, right? And um, it, it's funny because, like, also it gets blurry because DC and Marvel have both now done this, where uh, the designation for the comic book universe gets applied to some version of the live action universe. Uh, in, in Arrowverse, the Arrowverse is Earth One, effectively. And so, like, Supergirl's a different Earth and whatnot, but, but Earth One, which is normally the comic book continuity, is now the Arrowverse continuity. And just, I think it was in the Loki TV show, uh, but one of the MCU shows, uh, the MCU is listed as, as 616. And so it's like that's 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 comic book continuity. Um, so I technically yes, that, but also there's two multiverses now. I think that was actually in Spider-Man with Mysterio, and Mysterio said that. So it was sort oh. of that thing where Mysterio knows it. So that means it could be like a random guess, or maybe it's true. Who that's knows, true. fans? That's true. That's wink, true. wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, but certainly in in where we're at now. Um, there is an explicit Earth One. It is not the comic continuity, um, which makes this show also a little weird. Um, and we'll go into it with, with the pilot. But um, anyway, a long way of kind of saying that, that this is one where I think we should talk about it, not just from the contrast of the, the comics, because again, Superman is the, the first major mainstream superhero, arguably the first superhero period. Uh, and uh, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. So it's it's really hard to talk about Superman as if you don't know who he is because it's hard to not know who he is. Agreed. So, but I guess before we get into that proper, um, there is of course some controversy about the Superman show. Yep. Which this one strikes a little close, I guess, to me personally, as there was a writer on the team who came out about trying who talked about some of the inherent racism in the scripts and the sexism and how they were actively trying to fight against those things being put in. And it did not turn out well for them. They were also, I think one of the writers on Krypton and eventually they were either left or booted from the show. I did not, do a full deep dive into the research of it, but I wanted to mention it here. And for a while I thought about going into a larger conversation around it, but I think it would be better if people decide to go and read up on it themselves and understand what they were saying and then go and look at the show itself. Because even when I was watching the show, I knew that something was bothering me and I picked up on it at certain key points throughout the episodes we watched. And I even watched an extra episode and I saw, something that was similar that happened in like the first episode of Dr. Who when it came back that bothered me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we, we went into a, 
surprisingly long and complicated conversation about this to a degree in Batwoman. Uh, but with Superman, it's more frustrating just because it's well known that the creators of Superman were Jewish and there's a lot of uh, metaphors to the Jewish American experience, particularly in the forties uh, in Superman, that it's not hard to find. There's no, it's, it, it, yes, it's subtext, but it's not deep, buried very deeply. Um, and so this is a character created by marginalized people. And so when it, when Superman gets it wrong, it, it stings even more, I feel. Uh, so that that's frustrating. Uh, and certainly it, we can't really go into it, Without it, and that's going to color our conversation, I think. So it's good that you bring it up. Um, but for me, at least, um, I, I think what's kind of happened is until Black Lightning, which is just going to be the 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 tentpole for where everything changed in genre was. Um, <laughs> Because prior to that, it was like, it's a CW show. Of course, it's a bunch of pretty white people. Uh, it's frustrating, but it is what it is. And then we have Black Lightning, and now after that, it's like, uh, why did you go backwards? It feels like it's a backward step because we have the show that clearly did it well. And then now looking at the shows that came after it, if we did not see Black Lightning, thought Lightning didn't exist, it would just be like, oh, Jesus Christ, more CW stuff. It's been, we'd be maybe frustrated, like maybe they could have done better, but like, no, they did do better and then still put these shows out. So and- it, it, it's more frustrating. Can I then comment also about the budget that the show got compared to the show that Black the budget Black Lightning got? Sure. And seeing where they had definitely put their the at least if not the showrunners, the company itself had put their priorities to what they considered to be the most likely the most successful show. And it is obvious and somewhat painful. And even more so given the context of the stories that were being told. Right. I'm trying um, to think of a nice way to phrase it. And even if we go back and look at the entire Arrowverse, I want people to take a minute and look at all the people of color and what roles they played in all the different shows and like the character arcs they gave them. Not where they ended up, but like how it potentially started. And if we got lucky, we had an amazing actor or actress that could go and change that role into something to be proud of. And then also look at the... Well, I'm going to use the word fans very loosely. The fans who trolled these people. Because if you go and look at Arrow, you had <clears throat> Diggle, who equivalently was a butler, is how the role they envisioned the writers for. But the actor that played Diggle was too amazing for that to stand. Right. And we can go to Flash, where they had Iris, who was only supposed to be the, the girlfriend. But mm-hmm. the actress put everything she had into it to try to make that even better. And she was horribly trolled by fans. I think she's still being trolled by fans from like almost the first episode to now. You get Mm -hmm. Cisco, who is just the comical sidekick, and that's all they gave him to do. But the actor did everything they could with that Mm -hmm. until they left the show, but they kept coming back. And we could go to The Legends of Tomorrow, where we have Jax, who is the mechanic who gets stolen to come on an adventure. I could keep going, and like all the shows have done that to all their people of color. And I don't know who is in the writer's room, but to have someone in this writer's room actively trying to fight against having the primary black people you see in Superman and Lois are villains or antagonists to our white protagonist. And having been in rooms before that are primarily white, trying to put in equality and inclusion for everyone, 
I know how that feels and how you get ostracized and how you lose like your position, you'll lose any influence and you'll lose definite opportunities for other ventures in the future. Certainly. Yep. Uh, so we're picking on Arrowverse a lot, but again, it's, it's, it's frustrating to see it. Um, I do want to talk about the budget real quick because, uh, it's interesting. You mentioned Black Lightning didn't get much budget. Batwoman also didn't get much budget, which for a Batman adjacent show seems surprising. Uh, but then it's the, oh, it's a queer lead. Okay. That, mm-hmm. That's where the, the, that's where the, the change happens, right? Um, it's the, you know, we don't know if a queer lead led show is going to do well, so we're going to not put as much money into it. We don't know if a black led show is going to do well, so we're not putting money into it. We know Superman will do well. So we're going to put the money into that. Uh, I, I don't know the conversation to budget, but it's hard not to look at that and think that's some form of what was discussed. Mm-hmm. So. And to some extent, you can even say a similar but not quite conversation with the legend of tomorrow. Because if you look at the legend of tomorrow, the primary lead character for legends, even from the jump is going to be Sarah Lance, who is then still a, a queer character. And so they're not sure how that's going to go. And it's a female led show, which also sets some impact. They don't want to give even those shows as much money. If you have your white, heteros is presenting man that's where they're going to give you more of the budget that they have to go with because they assume you're going to do your show is going to do better and even legends tomorrow the first season was still kind of ostensibly led by a heterosexual white man um rip hunter was kind of the protagonist and then eventually the show moved away from that but his trauma around losing his family was very much the the first through line um and then we talked about how the one you know, we talk about Jacks. We also talk about, oh yeah, we're we're also going to give the hawk pe- hawk folks a strong lens. Yeah, but then you take Hawk Woman and literally put her in a coma for several episodes, so maybe not great. Um, and to your stint about Rip, when Rip leaves, the budget also dramatically lessens every year. Yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. Sarah is definitely in charge. I agree. Um, but I guess we can talk about Superman and Lois if you want to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know we're keep working with stick, but again, I, I feel like it's important to talk about it with Superman just because this is a character that's created by marginalized people, and so it, it's more frustrating in this context. Mm-hmm. And if anyone that knows the history of Superman and how they came up with so many ideas back and forth, they broke up their partnership, they came back together with their partnership, and I think in the end they sold the rights for Superman to DC comics at the time was either like $35 or $200 equivalently. It, it was, it was some very small amount. And I mean, we could go into the, the context for it. There's nuance to that, that doesn't make it better, but certainly add some interesting reflections to it. Um, but suffice to say, this is a well-established character. And the fact that so many people, don't know this well-established history and then look to Superman as some kind of white supremacy analog is, is, is disturbing. Uh, but also I will say this show does at least dress that piece of it. And we'll talk about that as we go on. Cause start- you know, what? the symbol on his chest means hope, right? It's an S it's, it's an S it's an S with a serif. 
Get over yourself. Retcons. All right. Episode one, pilot. Uh, pilot starts where it just kind of status quo. Um, which, to be fair, I, I like the fact that it's like, you know, here's a bunch of cuts. It's Superman. You know who Superman is. Kind of really quickly go through it. And spends a little more time focusing on what's distinctive for this series, which is that he's married Lois Lane, and they have two teenage sons, Jonathan and Jordan. And Jordan has social anxiety disorder. Uh, so we see uh, uh, Clark saves a nuclear reactor and returns to Metropolis, where Lois tells him that he's missed uh, Jordan's doctor's appointment and that Jonathan's about to become starter in varsity football, even though he's a freshman. Uh, talking to his sons, Clark also talks with uh, his mother, Martha, uh, asks him to come visit, but then it turns out that's the last time he ever gets a chance to talk to her because uh, she passes away soon after. Uh, first day of high school arrives. The twins have to leave for Smallville to attend their grandmother's funeral, which uh, the, makes the boys very frustrated. Uh, at the wake, the children go into the barn to see if they can improve the internet access because that's exactly where you put a router is in the barn. Uh, that's, that's terrible placement. No wonder your Wi-Fi sucks. Jordan and Jonathan are covered. Are, are still girders fall on them, but uh, when Clark runs in and pulls the girders off them, they find that the boys are actually only at mild concussions. Uh, see earlier comments about no concussion is mild. It's a horrible thing. Blah blah. Uh, meanwhile, Lois's father, who is a military general, confirms that the nuclear power plant was attacked by a Kryptonian. Uh, next morning, Clark and Lois go to the bank to meet with uh, Lana Lang, now Lana Cushing. Uh, who informs them that due to Martha's helpfulness to the poor people of Smallville, uh, she did a reverse mortgage and the bank can now possess the farm unless Clark and Lois buy it. Uh, Clark, prior to this, lost his job at Daily Planet due to cutbacks made by Morgan Edge, and so he's not sure they can get the money to buy the farm. The boys investigate the barn because they were told not to, which is exactly a teenage boy thing to do, uh, and they find Kal-El's space pod. Uh, when Clark and Lois return home, the Quins confront their parents and said, why, why, why do we have an alien space pod? And Clark says, because I'm an alien. And the, the Quins feel like they've been lied to all of their lives because they've been lied to all of their lives. Uh, Jordan is invited to a party by Sarah, um, when they, which is uh, Lana's daughter. Uh, when they talk, he feels attracted towards her um, and kisses her, but then Sarah reveals that she's a boyfriend. Um, and he's about to fight. Uh, Jonathan has followed Jordan to the party because he was worried, and she defends his brother. Jordan's eyes emit heat vision uh, and causes uh, something to explode. Uh, meanwhile, Superman's investigating another nuclear facility and attacks a person in an exosuit. As a two battle, um, uh, the person in the exosuit reveals that he knows practically everything about Kal-El and is only testing his capabilities. The person in the exosuit wins the battle, stabs Superman with a kryptonite blade, and drops him from the stratosphere, leaving him to die. The last seconds, Superman does recover, but he's very badly hurt. Uh, Clark comes back home and realizes that Jordan has powers. Uh, Jordan reveals that he saved Jonathan from falling steel. Clark and Lois decide they need to stay in Smallville to raise the boys away from the hustle of Metropolis and to save the Kent farm and also to teach Jordan how to use his powers in a safer environment. Uh, Jonathan's actually happy that he doesn't have powers, uh, and it proves his athleticism is actually due to him being human, not because he's half alien. Uh, and then uh, the man in the exosuit returns to his base and his plans to destroy the one who destroyed the world has just begun as some kind of computer speaks to him. That's a lot going on. To be fair, this also is a full hour long episode. It was, it was originally aired with no commercial breaks. So this is actually a longer than usual episode. Which adds to that movie-esque feel to it, which is mm -hmm. important. I think all pilots should be aired like this, like hands down. 
yeah, um, it definitely did. We talked about budget, but I mean, it definitely had a, a film quality to it. The special effects were definitely a, a touch above uh, most other Arrowverse shows. But you're right, the pacing of it felt like a really long movie. Um, the way I viewed it here in the UK, um, there were no commercial breaks, obviously. But also, you didn't see where the commercial breaks were. So, I mean, it, it just felt like it was a solid hour of video. Uh, and to its credit... It, 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 it's definitely it felt like a better Superman movie than any Superman movies that had come out to this point from DC wait are you saying that you didn't like seeing Henry Cavill snap Zod's neck because that's what Superman would do in every situation he would kill anybody Henry Cavill was wasted on Superman because he would have been a fantastic Superman but it just, just ugh ugh I I I, I would I'm gonna have to disagree. I think Henry Cavill is a horrible Superman. I wow. think Henry Cavill would have been an amazing Batman because Cavill Cavill's amazing. He was awesome as Gerald, so I, I won't digress into that. But right. Cavill has sort of a, a darker energy about him, even when you see him on screen. Even when he's trying to be affable and funny, there's there's some Frank Castle in there. Whatever you see, Cavill. And that works for Batman. That works for like the grittier characters like that. And I think he could have portrayed that amazingly. But for Superman, there needs to be hope. Like I came back to that. Um, yeah, but there's something that he, he radiates from him that has that spark. And for me, Cavill doesn't have that. Cavill has that dark Avenger energy that I want Batman to have, though. That's that's fair. Um so I guess that kind of ties into let the, I mean we're talking about uh, you know casting and whatnot. So what do we think about uh, uh, Tyler Tyler Houchin Houchlin? I don't know how to pronounce that, but the guy who played Superman in this one. Uh, I'd seen him do it before in Supergirl for like one of the multiverse shows. Mm, it was all right. Um, I I. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. I think he's a better Clark Kent than Superman. Totally like, agree. Not weird at all. When he is Clark Kent, he is exactly how I picture Clark Kent. Like down to the the cluttiness and the stammering and the awkwardness and the weirdly attractive guy with some, with glasses. But I actually buy him as nerdy as opposed to some other Superman actors. Like, no, you're just too handsome. He actually <laughs> his body posture changes in a way that I've really bought, which is weird that he almost never plays Clark Kent. <laughs> He's always kind of this hybrid character, again, 90s era where he was kind of melding the two characters into to one more unified thing because he didn't have to keep it a secret anymore, really. Uh, um, but yeah, it, it really made me miss, we talked about this in Legends of Tomorrow, but like um, uh, the guy who played the Atom was a much better Superman, I thought, uh, because yeah. he had that Brandon heart. Brandon Roth. Brandon Roth, thank you, I couldn't think of his name. Um, Brandon Roth. It's like as he was, as he was playing the Adam, I was like, I could really have stand to have seen more. I mean, he was a great Adam too, but I could stand to see him more as Superman because he, he had that cheerfulness. Although I will give Tyler credit, I did like this the bit where it's like, I love your outfit. Thanks, my mom made it for me. That was a good moment. <laughs> <laughs> that kind All right, of so the highlight for me of this entire episode was seeing that Superman outfit. 
like the that black, is the, the one yeah yeah that we've that i don't think we've ever seen in live action and that was a, a very nice touch and they couldn't stick with it but they gave it to us yeah that was for those that know that that was the very first comic book accurate superman outfit um and then they kind of jump ahead to his new 52 outfit which is sans trunks um which i've always felt was unfairly derided i mean i thought it was actually a pretty nice look uh but um, you're right. It was. It was. They were definitely trying to be authentic because they knew they were doing some new stuff with this character, and so stuff like that was 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 neat to see. Um, but then, like, so you you brought up a very interesting question then that you have mm-hmm. to now answer. Are you pro trunk Superman completely, or no trunks? I actually, I think I'm no trunks, honestly. Um, part of it is because that era of costume is also in mind linked to, because again, it's New 52, Justice League, but it was also when Wonder Woman had pants. Mm-hmm. And I also like that look. Uh, and um, I think at one point, even Supergirl got pants. And it was just kind of an era of like, we can update these design decisions that were made literally 55, six decades ago into something that looks like a modern person would wear. Uh, and then there was so much backlash that they ended up going back to the a, a hybrid, slightly more classic look to all of them. And I, I, I disagree. I mean, like, I, you know, like that was also the era where Batman was wearing what looked more authentically like armor, you know, yeah. uh, I, that may or may not be only pierced by kryptonite. Oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, so I like, I agree. I like the updated versions of them, like the, the no short Superman, the pants for Wonder Woman and Supergirl, the armored Batman, much how I think it was in the nineties also where, um, I forgot the name of the writer, but they said, why is Black Panther running around in, uh, basically a paper costume when he's the king of a nation, we should get that man some armor. And yes. that's where we started getting armored Black Panther. Yes. Like, I think that was I think that was Priest. Was that Priest's run that did that? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, totally agree. Um I, I do hate Asbats, overly spiky armor, but that's another discussion for Well, later. yes. That was the nineties, man. A lot of decisions were made in the nineties. Uh so I mean the, the the introduction of the two teenagers, uh I admit when I first saw because I, I Full disclosure, um, this is one of the shows that I had not watched a single episode of. Uh, it just kind of in the rotation landed in my lap. Um, so I did some quick Googling, picked three episodes, and said, sure, I'll do that. Uh, so I didn't know anything going into this. I, I went into this relatively uh, un- unbiased. And so I was like, oh, they have two kids. I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. I, w- I was not a fan of that direction. But really quickly, they won me around because it throws a whole new dynamic into the Lois and Clark situation that I had not seen before. Um, and having one of them be basically a super jock, I'm a jock and I'm going to, you know, be a varsity school guy. And another one being kind of the, the, the angsty, you know, goth, if goth were still a popular guy, uh, it helped to kind of show the two sides of Clark in a way, right? It, it's the, here's the athletic hero and here's the extremely emotional, tender character. Um, and so it externalizes to some level the, an internal conflict in Superman on a way on the screen that you don't usually get to see. 
And so seeing Clark bounce off of those was actually really interesting throughout this pilot. I I think that it was also a nice touch because it's a different version that they get to tell of a well-established character. Mm-hmm. And they all also write off the popularity, I want to say, of what was it? Batman and Superman and Sons or whatever it was, where they yeah. have Clark's son and Batman's son. I technically Damien's his, his son. But that's, son. A, that, that's, that's a whole other conversation about consent if we want to get to that. In that well, one. there's that. Yeah. And Damien's died, I want to say, like a thousand times and keeps coming back to life from Lazarus the uh, Lazarus pit. Whatever. So <laughs> is it the same Damien? Um, uh, but so I think they're writing off some popularity of that because you have both the sons and you get like the different personalities from them and how they would then interact with Clark, how they interact with Lois and that whole dynamic. It's one of the reasons also I like a larger crew on the TARDIS is that you get more and div- diverse sort of interactions with characters and it play off of each other. Right. Um, and so like by the end of this episode, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing around because it's one of those shows where you can't really pull out the subplots necessarily. Because um, it's a movie. Right. And it's a movie. We, exactly. And we're not, our format doesn't necessarily work as well for movies unless we break the movies down into like about 10 minute chunks and try to address each one. Right. Um, so by setting up status quo of, okay, no, they're going to be in Smallville and stay in Smallville. Uh, again, I was like, so we're doing Smallville again. So that's, that's what we're doing. But it's not because this is Clark going back. Uh, and we're seeing the Smallville cast as adults. And we're seeing modern teenagers who lived in a big city having to cope with a small city. It's a very different dynamic from Smallville. Smallville very much is like, isn't rural America great but also weird? And this is more, no, rural America has different problems. And they're not better or worse than urban America. Uh, and so it's like, okay, this, this could go some interesting directions. I mean, granted the, you know, we have to save the farm thing. It's, it's a bit cliche. Um, but this is, you know, to be fair, mortgaging your farm to try to make money to, to keep your farm or your, your, your friend's farms alive is very much a problem that rural America struggles with. Uh, so it's like, okay, well, you know, the, I, I could see why they thought this was a cool thing to kind of dig into. And it, 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 it's it's not presented like this evil money tyrant is trying to take over the the, the farm. It's the, no, it, this is happening because Clark's mom was too good for this earth. I, I'm not going to make a Martha joke. I almost did. But Martha! Oh, we've seen him. We've seen him do it before in other universes. Couldn't Clark just go somewhere, get a rock, and squeeze it so tight that he makes diamonds, and that would resolve all the problems? Or he could shoot tiny Superman out of his hands, who could then do all the work around the farm. <laughs> but I'm saying, if he squeezes and makes the diamonds, he could pay off their farm. He could pay off all the farms in Smallville. Right. Right. Um. But I mean, the idea of. Clark losing his job being the evil capitalist storyline as opposed to the farm being the evil capitalist storyline. It does all connect, but at least at the start, as we're seeing here, was an interesting touch because I had never seen Clark lose his job before. To me, it's so he's a reporter. And the one thing that this farm plotline does, which is actually fantastic, although it snuck up on me, is it allows Lois to completely be the reporter role. Mm-hmm. As opposed to sharing it with Clark. 
Clark's focus is on his family and his job. And Lois is like, okay, so I'm going to be the reporter, but also deal with the family when you're not here, which is way too often. And that is very much the working woman dilemma, but also gives Lois a very clear narrative role in the show, which is very infrequent in her normal portrayals. Totally agree. Though if jumping ahead, I guess a smidge, we also know one of the reasons why Clark was fired when Morgan Edge took over as a spoiler for an episode we're literally going to talk to about in a second right. is that Morgan Edge knows who Superman is. So therefore that would get rid of him from doing that job. But it was also nice that it did reinforce as Lois's role and it let us also sort of touch on. So I'm thinking whoever wrote this part of the writer's team has read Astro City and they are familiar mm-hmm. with the Sumerian from Astro City, who is basically a Superman character that is always out saving people and so busy, really has time for his own private life and finds people through super hearing. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the whole shtick. And it was nice to see super hearing used so much, but I am also thinking, what is the range on Superman super hearing? Like, where does it stop? Is it in space? He can hear Lois. And if it's that powerful, I would love to see a Sonic-based character fight Superman in the show. Okay, I was not going to do this, but you have forced my hands. I'm going to talk about how hearing sucks. Because... <laughs> um, uh, technically speaking, I have a form of super hearing. I have a, a device literally stuck inside of my head that allows to amplify sound around me. And super hearing, particularly Superman super hearing, always bugs me. And it bugged me a little bit in Supergirl, but I didn't want to get into it then. But I'm getting into it now. Uh, because it is really hard to distinguish sound. Um, one of the problems I have with a lot of my hearing aids is going into a restaurant. Because my device can't tell you what's the voice in front of me or what's the voice of the person yelling behind me or the sound. So it just sounds like a, a, a uniform thesaurus that's hard for me to distinguish from. So it's really, even though my hearing is amplified, I can't easily have conversations in bars or restaurants as a result. So I have to kind of be very, they have people have to sit across from me or right next to me in order for me to have actual conversation with them. So whenever it's like, Superman's like, oh, I can hear from across town that Lois is in danger. It's like, how? How do you hear that over uh, people talking or cars backfiring or people playing their music too loud? Because I can barely hear my wife next to me on the bus. <sighs> and see, I appreciate that context that I did not have. I, right. I was just thinking that that is obnoxious and they should have just given Superman telepathy at that point in time. Really? They should, honestly. But it's... This is one of the things that with, with leg- legacy characters, it's always interesting to go back to the the symbol on your chest means hope. It's like, no, it was very clearly meant to be the letter S for Superman, and they had to retcon it because now this symbol has become so iconic. It's the, why does Batman have a yellow symbol on his chest? Because Batman's always had a yellow symbol on his chest, which is not technically true. I recognize that. Don't at me. But for most of his career, he's had a yellow symbol on his chest. And so they have to come up with the reasons why. It's like, it's to attract attention to the hardest part of your armor. It's like, no, it's just because you've always had a yellow symbol on your chest. And we have to live with that. It's to um, strike fear into the heart of villains because you're not afraid to expose the most vulnerable part of your body in any room. <laughs> no, is that, right. is that not it? Right, right, exactly. Um, so it's the, he has super hearing because he's always had super hearing. Uh, and how useful it is depends on who's writing it. 
which is a lot of Superman's powers. But to his to to the show's credit, I mean, on the one hand, it was interesting to see a heavy use of one of his lesser known powers, right? It's not mm-hmm. I-beams, it's not super strength, it's not flying. They, they actually leaned on a different power. On the other hand, that may be because it's a really cheap power to write for. Because <laughs> <laughs> you record dialogue off camera, you do a quick zoom on the ear, and you're done. That's it. Yeah, but it was as it was in heavy use, I felt that we needed to discuss the super hearing slash telepathy. Right. Um. I do want to talk a little bit about the surprising. This is the scene I'm picking, but the Jordan kissing Sarah scene, uh, because that is a tricky situation. Because Jordan kisses Sarah without consent, and she does not say that she's with her boyfriend, which invites the she didn't need she shouldn't have said, had to have said that. To avoid that situation, right? She shouldn't have to tell people I have a boyfriend to avoid being kissed without consent. And then effectively afterwards, she apologizes for not saying she had a boyfriend. So it's a tricky situation. But I think what's interesting about this is that because we're talking about teenagers here, teenagers don't always have a nuanced understanding of these things. Um, it helps that Sarah's boyfriend is later shown to be a complete asshole. So it's like, okay, it's, it's, she's just an asshole. Catching uh, on one of my, my points about earlier comment. Right. Fair. Uh, but uh, separately, Jordan does fully acknowledge. I shouldn't have done that. And that does come before she gives context of, well, maybe I shouldn't have said things. So it, it's not, she's apologizing for being kissed without consent, it's more she's giving context for the acceptance of the apology that was given to her. And I did appreciate that it wasn't great, but at least there was some thought put into this is why this is happening. But after you told me about the writer who tried to remove some of the sexism from the scripts, I could almost kind of see that line being wedged into the script, uh-huh. you know, it's like, I really feel like there was a draft that probably just straight up had Sarah apologizing for being kissed by other consent and having someone go, okay, let's, let's, let's do a work on that. Cause that's not great. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Um, uh, I'm just gonna say this because it's a subplot that we're not actually going to cover, but the guy in the suit is apparently Luther. Uh, who disappears from the show between episodes one and ten? I only know this because I looked it up on the wiki because I was curious, like, what the hell happened with this character? I would. I'm going to say that if there had been more positive representation of black people in this show, having Lex Luthor be a black person would have been very cool. But the lack of any other real predominant black person and even then as a villain if he's gone for like 10 episodes of the show uh, iffy um goes back to reinforcing who you're they're making your villains and your antagonists because even if we go back to the jordan kissing scene the antagonist is another black person and shows are written so that you are on the side of your protagonist be the protagonist good or evil dexter when you watch dexter i want dexter to win i know dexter's killing people but let's go dexter if you're watching this show, you want Superman and Jordan to win. 
And so having your antagonist constantly be black people reinforces that concept of them as being the other and should be beaten. Uh, so in a way, I'm glad we ended up missing all of that. Uh, but it is what it is. Anything else about this episode? Um, Superman stopped a nuclear reactor with a big ice cube. That is not even a top 10 weirdest stuff Superman has done. <laughs> but really, my, my other comment about this, though, is the fact that Lois's general dad and Superman's are like BFF. It is almost a Batman Commissioner Gordon type friendship. Yeah, that's fair. Which was an uh, interesting twist. Um, I'm going to talk more about that in the future episode because there's the, the, the Superman's relationship yeah. with the military industrial complex is a whole thing. Um, but we are, it's, it's, it's better expressed in a future episode. So, And... Th- I do have one more that's oh, sure, a positive for the show. I do like the fact that both Lois and Clark sat down with their sons to discuss moving to Smallville and how that would change all their lives as a family. Like yes. that is a nice grounding point for the show, regardless of its inherent racism and sexism of the show. That was a very nice family based touch. And I, 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 that's a good point. Actually, was, um, I, I did thought it was fairly realistic because the, the 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 teenage boys correctly point out, do we really have a choice in this? And they kind of say, no, but we want you to be aware of it. And it's like that that it is illustrating the power dynamic between parents and children. But you're right, it is show it is telling that they sit there, they talk, they sit down, talk down, explain what they're going to do, which is a nice familial touch. That's okay. It. I got nothing else. Well, I do, but I'm not going to talk about. It. Well, we'll get, I'm sure we get it wrong. Uh, episode ten. Oh, mother, where are thou? Uh, Morgan Edge, uh, the obvious British supervillain, turns out to be the obvious British supervillain and reveals himself as Tal Rowe, the son of Laura Larvan and Zeta Rowe. He intends to bring various Kryptonians, including Laura, back to life from Earth. And if Superman doesn't agree with his position, he will be eradicated. Clark uncovers Edge's arrangement to his family and Lois advises him to go to the fortress. There, Jarrell, his father, reveals he never mentioned his stepbrother because it wasn't significant because that's a dick move. Uh, Clark asks him what to do to reestablish in, uh, the individuals that Edge has mind controlled with the implanted Kryptonian consciousness. But Jarrah says the Eradicator was created by Laura and he can't help because he's useless. At the Kent farmhouse, uh, John is concerned that Clark could turn on them as he did on John Henry's Earth, referencing a plot we didn't watch, but basically Clark went evil at one point. Uh, but Lois says he won't because he's a family to battle for here on Earth. Uh, at the Cushing house, Kyle explains how Edge quote-unquote improved him. However, Lois shows up in the entryway, trailed by the DOD, who arrests Kyle after he attempts to utilize superpowers to assault Lois and Lana. Lana talks with Lois and Clark, who reveal the information they have. Lane notices a man named Dabney Donovan, who is filling in as Edge's, Edge's doctor. At the DOD, Sam torments Kyle with kryptonite to get information on Donovan. At the, at the cafe, John mentions what's new with Sarah's father, leaving out the part about Kryptonians, because how do you work that into a conversation? After he utilizes a super hearing yet again uh, to discover Donovan, Clark flies to the lab and tells Donovan to reverse the machine, but he says he barely understands it enough to do that. They need to talk to Clark's mother. Lana offers to be the vessel for Superman's mother's consciousness. Jonathan and Jordan persuade Sam to give them access to see Sarah's father in jail. He reveals to Sarah that Kyle is dead. Uh, Laura raises, rises and shines in Lana's body and discloses that she never planned Kryptonians to replace another race with her device. 
She reveals Zeta Rowe had taken the Sunstone that had Laura's intelligence from Clark's pod. She learns the old mind exists until the transfer is complete, which can take days or weeks, so they can be saved if they're put through the Eradicator again, which maybe you shouldn't call your device the Eradicator if it has that function. Edge calls Clark, and Superman confronts him, defending humanity, where Edge talks about how he was hunted in the British countryside. As Clark attempts to get through to Edge, Edge is calling his soldiers to his side. As the multitude drops on Superman, Edge has forced him to choose us or them. Superman says there is no us or them and drives the multitude of Kryptonians back towards the Eradicator. As the warriors assault him, he shoots the Eradicator with his heat vision and the collective heat vision of all the Kryptonians. The DoD gathers together Edge's warriors, each of whom appear to be stunned by what is happening. Superman is blown to the fortress where he crawls the snow to recuperate. Somewhere else in a desert, Leslie and Edge reunite and he tells her that not everything is lost. We jumped over a lot of plot to get here. I don't think it would have helped for context for some of the nonsense that's happening here, but it's Superman, right? Like Superman nonsense is this particular kind of nonsense. Can I say the one thing that these shows do not lack is a lot going on. Like <laughs> yes. they, they jam it packed full of stuff, which I, I am a big fan of, but I'm also a fan of the use of the word eradicator as it's a, a shout out to the four Superman, like the Superman's that came after Superman was destroyed because one of his replacement selves, the evil one was the eradicator. Oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, but I mean, this is pure Kryptonian mythos info dump. It's the, so Krypton can do whatever the plot demands, right? That, that, that is just Krypton's role is, we, we need a reason why there's a whole bunch of Superman-like people, so blah, 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 implants Kryptonian consciousness into people, which somehow gives them superpowers, because that's how superpowers work, I guess. Yeah, they're all in your mind. All in your mind, and not at all a physical reaction to the Yellow Sun that was explicitly <laughs> name-dropped as the reason why he has his powers in the show. I'm going to point out this point before we really move on to the important parts. You know that this Jarrell is a fake copy because he says Krypton and not Krypton. Krypton. And that's it. Because <laughs> if we had the real Jarrell, Marlon Brando, it would be Krypton. Oh, Hands God. down every single time because he refused to say it any other way. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that reminds me of uh, Peter Collin playing Optimus Prime who uh, uh, kept calling Teletran Teletron. Uh, uh, to the point where I had to actually address this in the Transformers tabletop role-playing game to explain that he had an <laughs> accent from the city he came from to justify why Peter Cullen just refuses to pronounce the word correctly. Well, from our understanding, though, Marlon Brando was just being a dick because that's who what? Marlon Brando was at some point. No. I know. Shocking. No. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot going on. Okay, so I, I will say... Um, I've only lived here a few months, but I have not yet been stalked in the British countryside and shot for being different. So I don't know how valid that is. I'm 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 inclined to say that's unlikely, but you know I can't say for certain. Well, they didn't see you coming out of your pod because you came out of your pod at home, like in the basement, and instead you look like a normal person. They saw a pod person getting out of a weird alien-looking thing, so they did what all humans would do. They shoot somebody. Right. It, so we, we, we've talked a lot about the, 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 the 
problematic elements of it, but we, we've completely glossed over the, the much longer entrenched British people are evil trope in American media. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, it's like, of course, the bad guy is British. That's just a thing. But then to see it really played out, like, no, no, no. If two identical people land on Earth, if they land in the American countryside, they'll be loved. If man, the British countryside, they'll be feared. And I'm like, that's taking that trope to a whole new level. I wasn't expecting in this show. So the show would say that it's defending itself because when Cal landed, he was a little baby. But when Morgan landed, he was like a 13-year-old. I, I don't got nothing. I'm just I'm just being so, a dick like Marlon Brando would be. So by that logic, Kara should have been murdered when Supergirl landed. Hands down. She was like 15. <laughs> they should have like shot her with kryptonite bullets. <laughs> because they would have had them because they needed them to pierce the bat suit. Um, <laughs> that joke is never going to die. No, God. I am so annoyed by that. I don't know why I'm right. annoyed by it, but I am. So, but this alone, right now, from what we're seeing, they have Edge and all these other Kryptonians being as powerful as Superman. Right. From what we've seen, which shouldn't shouldn't work because, A, Superman came here as, as a little baby, so we know he grew up the whole time. So he's absorbed more of the solar energy and sun than Edge and the five-minute Kryptonians. Right. right. And you know how I feel about power scale and consistency. I am... Frustrating. And it would be less frustrating if we didn't also have a character who had recently discovered his powers, who is objectively not as talented them as the people who had their brains implanted with Kryptonian consciousnesses. Yeah. And so remember I said I watched an extra episode because I wanted to confirm something for myself. Uh-huh. And in episode three, there this one we first see another Kryptonian, five minute Kryptonian, who's going after Lois because Lois is discovered about Edge. But Superman can barely beat one of these Kryptonians. He asked, which we got to see Super Breath, which you're going to get to see, which is pretty cool to see in a fight. But he had to freeze him with Super Breath to be able to take him out because he couldn't beat him in a in a fist fight. That mm-hmm. is how much powerful this person was over Superman. How? It doesn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, We've said in other episodes that Superman is, is at best inconsistently written. Um, it is frustrating to see inconsistently written inside of a particular interpretation of Superman. Yeah. Uh, for a show that otherwise is clearly attempting to try to standardize these things. Because, like, you know, it's not like it's like the Superman movies, like the 80s movies. They're channeling a very specific Silver Age version of Superman. So it's like, yeah, of course he can fly around the world and send the rotating backwards to go backwards in time. But the, sh- the movies aren't trying to present Superman as anything remotely consistent. That's not what the show is doing. The show is like, you know, there's a, there's a mythos and a logic and these things work in a certain way. But also mind zombies. <laughs> okay. But see, I would give you mind zombies if there was a consistent rule for mind zombies. Like we would have Superman. Superman can lift 100 tons. Five-minute mind zombies can lift five to 10 tons. So we need about five to 10 of them to fight Superman effectively. Or Morgan Edge been here this long. Morgan Edge can lift around 50, 60 tons. This is where Edge is. Edge needs these to do this to Superman. Like balancing and scale, it's important, even in a superhero show. It's my problem with the Flash. Barry, run faster. All right, I ran faster. Great. We're in season four. What are you going to do? I'm going to run faster than faster. That's great, Barry. Super fast. Um. 
so Superman aside for the moment, uh, I want to come back to Lois's father's blatant disregard for how the law works and just using a military unit to arrest people. And the, the, the whole show, they refer to them as the DOD, which I'm assuming is Department of Defense. And I'm like, I do not know any interpretation of how the Department of Defense works that allows a military to show up at someone's house and arrest someone. Well, as an American, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna. Because I'm not. No. I'm not an American anymore, so I can't. I can't apparently comment on this anymore. <laughs> the it, it it is not legal, but things occur, and then you need actual government agencies to come in to help stop those things from happening. But if someone running around in a military uniform. Mm-mm. That d- it doesn't work, right? But then that also goes back to a similar Batwoman issue, where the crows are right. effectively a police force, and this the military is effectively the police force, and Superman is a is a stooge for the for the military and police, right? Um, and Lois, at various points in this episode and the last episode, has made little comments. The effect of like challenging her dad and, and saying he shouldn't, you know, just go in half cocked, but then straight up calls the military to go to her friend's house because of her abusive husband. And I'm like, and 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 and, uh, and then the whole Kyle storyline, right? Okay, so Kyle is presented in this episode as he is abusive because he was implanted with a Kryptonian consciousness. Ignoring the previous nine episodes where he was also being abusive. Maybe not as mm-hmm. abusive, but episode one, the pilot, we didn't talk about it, but he was being an abusive jerk. He was being jealous. He was confronting Clark. Uh, he was acting very possessive of his wife, which is all abusive behavior. Fast forward to here, he gets planted the consciousness, and it's like, oh, but he's just been alien, so that's okay. And again, to the, the, the sexism we talked about, Sarah trying to talk to her father and understand what's going on was a really interesting subplot that gets shut down the second she realizes aliens are involved. Because then she can compartmentalize all of that into, oh, well, weird stuff happened. And that's not really my dad. And it's like, that's, object- that's objectively true. But narratively, a lot of stuff happened before he got implanted by this thing. And that was your dad. There, there's no mm-hmm. Kryptonian explanation for that stuff. He's just an asshole. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Again, that's why I'm glad you brought that up at the beginning. Because like, once you've had that piece of information, you start looking at this 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 show. And it's like, there, there are some... I, I can see what a writer would be trying to push against. Because there there's some... In terms of, and again, I'm, I'm not against Kyle being an, a, a, a jerk of a father who recognizes what he's doing is wrong and makes different decisions. That, that, that's a great storyline. It's a great way to redeem a character. This was the worst possible way to do that. Mm-hmm. It's the easy way. Yeah. Yep. Can uh, we, can we yeah. take a minute to talk about Morgan Edge and ask where exactly is apocalypse because we all know that morgan edge was a stooge for an interstellar gang that worked for apocalypse that ran around and tormented superman and metropolis 
I forgot their name right now, but the Shazam movie stole them and used him as the Shazam's villain. But it's like the intergang or whatever it is. Intergang, yes. And Morgan Edge is their leader, and they all link back to Apocalypse. Yes, intergang, which is a slightly less lazy version like Marvel did, where they really just took the word mafia and changed the F to a G. (laughs) Because they they didn't want the mafia to come breaking down their doors back then. So the the magia. Intergang, no, I forgot about intergang. Intergang is great. Because they're, they're it's 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 space gang nonsense, right? And that's the thing is like this this I I, I again I'm not a huge fan of Superman. I, I've only recently come around to being any kind of fan of Superman. Um, but I've realized that for me, Superman works best when it's kind of embracing a certain amount of ridiculous. In this show, it feels like it's it's caught in the middle, and this episode's a really good example of that because you have. We talked about the um, the very dark Superman films that are actually airing contemporaneously to this show, and then you have you know stuff like All Star Superman by Grant Morrison, which is full blown. Let's take the Silver Age and take it to its, its logical extreme. If I, I'm using the word logic loosely here, uh, and this is kind of in the middle of that. It's, it's trying to bounce between the two, and it's like this is an episode where. It's trying to talk about how family abuse is endemic and is a serious problem and also trying to show that a device called the Eradicator can fix the world problems as long as your dead mom can be implanted in your ex-girlfriend's head. Yeah. Can – go ahead. I was going to say, um, I, I did want to briefly touch on the, the super awkwardness of your mom's voice coming out of your ex-girlfriend's mouth. And I, I fully respect the actor, Superman actor's intense discomfort with the whole situation in body language. <laughs> oh. Can we take a minute? No. So the kids convince grandpa to let the daughter go and see the dad. Can like every level about that scene is wrong. Like oh, yeah. his agreement to do it because they his grandsons asked, the fact that they've taken them in to see who they've decided is a very violent criminal mm. who they can control with kryptonite rays. Right. Which, if I was Superman, I'd have serious questions about that. But oh, yeah. you can control someone's kryptonite rays that may or may not consistently work, and they let the kids go in to see them. Like every part of that scene is wrong. Oh yeah, no. Um, not uh, even not even talking about the dramatic actual aspects that were handled poorly. Just the scene structure itself and character right, motivation. Because it's the this military organization has has no security procedures whatsoever. Uh, the kids shouldn't have been allowed on, on the, the remote base to begin with. Uh, they certainly should not have allowed been allowed to be over just because of family concerns. They triple should not have been allowed there with no other guard inside the room with them. Yep. And they also do not have the security clearance to walk away with that information. Yeah. And that's on top of the fact that, right, it's, it's, it's also written poorly. Um. And the worst sin of all, nothing interesting happens as a result of it. The only thing that changes is Sarah now realizes that alien stuff is involved, which could have been handled in the diner scene. 
frankly. Yeah. Um, and, George and could have shot out his heat beams. Phew, let me heat your fries for you. <laughs> um, but I will say the, the flip side of all of this um, is that uh, we talked a little bit about how the consent thing was awkward with, with uh, John and Sarah. Um, but by this episode, there is actual serious chemistry between those, those actors. Um, and, and to be fair, between Lois and Clark too. I mean, I mean, there's actually some really good chemistry between the appropriate characters, which is a huge contrast to watching Batwoman. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's the actually all the people who are supposed to be interested in each other are actually interested in each other. Um, and, you know, the fact is they're also doing some groundwork of like, okay, let's, we know where the Sarah and John relationship's going to go, but there's some interesting stuff like her saying, at least you guys didn't lie to me. The, 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 the teenage cast all have a very strong need of, they need to trust in general in their relationships. And they feel like they cannot trust adults. They can only trust each other, which is a really good way to keep the teenage scenes, their own separate dynamic and their own place in the narrative. It could have been handled to where they're just kids that know what they're doing. It could have been handled to where the kids are supernaturally aware of what's going on. The adults are idiots. There's not, there's actually two different levels happening simultaneously. And so the kids become the very human component of the storyline so that Kal-El can be space nonsense guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else I, on the episode? Nah. For the episode 11, a brief reminisc- reminiscence between in, in between cataclysmic events, which is both hard to say and also a disturbingly accurate description of this entire episode. A young Clark Kent uses his sunstone to create the fortress. Inside, he recovers his sunstone and attaches it to a frozen dais, bringing Jor-El to life and revealing himself to be Clark's father and useless. He also reveals Clark's backstory and trains him in the use of his powers, Clark returns to the ranch and tells his mother he found what he was looking for. Clark sees Lana Lang at the cinema, but he realizes she's engaged to Kyle. Martha consoles him and gives him his first Superman outfit as a reward. In Metropolis, Clark looks for an apartment and sees a car going out of control. He reveals himself as Superman for the first time, which is a repeat of the recap from the pilot. When people are excited about the news, he is encouraged to apply as a reporter for the Daily Planet. And again, we see a repeat of the moment from the pilot where he meets Lois Lane. Lois, disappointed in how Superman's flashy heroics dominate the coverage, pushing systemic issues out of the spotlight, such as the rise of white supremacy. Clark asks how he can help, leading to a research and reporting montage. During the investigation, Lois and Clark grow close. The next morning, Lois talks alone with one of the suspects, Henry Miller. Clark's superhearing picks up Miller because superhearing is amazing, and he rushes to save her just as he used a flamethrower on Lois Lane. Superman saves some locals while Lois tasers Miller because Lois Lane is a badass. <laughs> Lois gives Clark the name Superman. Cut to Superman's first on-camera interview with Lois, where Superman reveals some personal details and Lois tries to get more. She accidentally reveals she's not romantically interested in Superman because she's in love with Clark, who she's been dating for a couple of months. Flash forward again, Lois comes to Smallville with Clark to meet Martha and some folks from town. Clark reveals to Martha he plans to tell Lois the truth, and we see more recaps from the pilot as he proposes to her and gets married. After the honeymoon, Clark tells Jarrell about the wedding. Suddenly, Jarrell yells at him to get out, and we see Clark wake up missing days and finding out that Lois is pregnant. Clark starts to realize that this recap isn't real, and we find Tal Rowe is taking control of his flashback. 
Superman wakes up in the fortress to find a device in his hand in his head and Roe threatening his family. Roe was sifting through Clark's memories to find out why Superman quote unquote betrayed the Kryptonian race. Clark stands up to Roe and Roe destroys the Sunstone, killing Jor-El. A fight happens. In Smallville, Kyle recovers from alien consciousness while the twins tell Sarah what's really going on, which she appreciates. Sarah kisses Jordan and Kyle apologizes to Lois. Morgan Ed shows up to threaten the Kents. Jordan tries to defend the family, but Roe takes him out. As Edge is ready to kill Lois, Clark shows up and surrenders to Edge. They go to Rose's fortress in the desert, where we see a young Rose twisted parallel to Clark's growing up montage. Clark is thrown before the hologram of Rose's father and put into a beam of red kryptonite energy, where he presumably turns evil. So, um, on the one hand, I do appreciate, A, that they pushed the actual Superman origin story to the 11th episode because they didn't really need it. And then B, successfully ripped off one of the better Superman stories of what happens to the Man of Tomorrow, where he goes into a parallel universe thinking about everything is wonderful, how his life could be great, and it turns out to actually be a plot by the villain. So both of those are really, really strong components and make for a really interesting episode. Except for the tiny detail of it makes no sense narratively. Because <laughs> Tal, Tal Ro knows all of this stuff already. Maybe not. Maybe he just, just knew he was Clark Kent. I really feel like he only did this because he wanted to watch the sex scenes with Lois. <laughs> <laughs> so not only is he an evil British Superman variant, he is also a perf. Yes, correct. Okay. Just, just wanted to establish that baseline that we're working from. Right. Um, but I mean, like, no, a lot of this uh, uh, episode is really, uh, this is chock full of just homages. This is the, the homage episodes. We're going to homage Superman 1. We're going to homage the original comic books. We're going to homage the, the 50s serials. Um, and from that perspective, there's a lot to, to like about this episode. I like the fact that Lois correctly, as a reporter, points out that the flashy heroics is distracting from real, actual investigative journalism. Because that is an actual problem. Um, and she's like, I'm going to dig into white supremacy and try to reveal that. And it's like, that's a really strong thing for a reporter to want to do. And also is a nice contrast for Tal Rose, very clear analog for that exact same thing. You know, so it's like the show's trying to make it clear, hey, this whole Kryptonian thing, just to be clear, it's a white supremacy analog. Um, and it's just like, okay, you know, again, this is the roots of Superman at the creation, you know, so that stuff, I'm, I'm glad they really decided to tackle that. It's on the nose, but it's a superhero show. You kind of need to be on the nose sometimes for this stuff. And it once again reinforces that Lois doesn't need Clark, doesn't need Superman. It's nice to have but if she, this man wasn't in her life, she would go right on being an amazing woman regardless. Well, mostly. This episode also pointed out that if not for Superman and the fact that fire doesn't work like that, that Lois <laughs> would be crispy. I mean, yes. Honestly, weirdly, that didn't bother me because I, I kind of almost took that as homage, right? It's the, of course, Lois went into a situation by herself and got into trouble, got in over her head. But the fact that she got to tase Miller helped kind of twist that scene, for me at least. Uh, but yes, why did she go off by herself when Clark was right there? Oh, no. No, I, 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 that is totally Lois. I agree with that. I am, I am 
fixated because I get fixated on the small, small points. Is it fire from a flamethrower doesn't work like that. You can stand in front of it and you blocked a good chunk of it, but it's still going to get Lois. It's not all going to like be absorbed into Superman. Because she well, wasn't 10 feet away or 20 feet behind him. She was like three feet. Because, Chris, his Kryptonian skin allows him to absorb the kinetic energy of the flame and redirect it into something. He's not Cyclops. He can't absorb energy. <laughs> it's a force movement, not heat vision. Uh, but like, like the 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 uh, like for me, the standout scene was the the interview, because not only does yeah. it show, um, Lois is like, I like you, but I'm gonna grill you on camera. It's like you know, props for that. Um, and just the, for, that moment of like, wait, doesn't he have super hearing? And and the look on her face of just the that 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 beat where she just stares and she, you could just see her going oh fuck in her head <laughs> and it was great because she was on top of it and on top of it but she that moment of she's I was thinking of him as a man and not as something else it was a nice moment to reinforce his alienness without making Superman and how he handles it. Because you know, she's like, you know, she, and, and again, like as a reporter, that was unprofessional of me. I apologize. She didn't try to hide from it. She didn't try to justify it. She just said, that was unprofessional. I shouldn't have done that. Let's move on. So how did you like their engagement about truth and justice, pause, and the American <laughs> way bit? I actually like that because I feel like much like up, up in a way or like a bird playing you know, Superman, you have to work those phrases in. And I like the fact, not only did she do that, but also he's like, I see you're still trying to find out my origin. It was a way to put a spin on that line. It, it, it doesn't actually answer it because Superman as American icon is still both a thing DC to try to get away from and also a problem for the character now. Uh, because Superman, I'm going into the weeds here a bit. Um, Superman cannot address his American identity the same way that Captain America can. Uh, Captain America, and we've talked about this, uh, is a very good barometer for not shying away from the problems America has and willing to address the uncomfortable truths of America while still being proud of being an American. Because Clark is an immigrant, immigrants do not have that luxury. And so um, uh, Superman cannot critique America in the same way because he's an immigrant. Immigrants are not allowed to do that. Uh, And so the best way forward is to just distance him from being an American icon, but it's still kind of trenched in the character. So you have scenes like this where I think it's a pretty deft way of resolving that problem is him just kind of very politely, very confidently deflecting his questions. Um, And so it's like, I'm willing to answer some things. Not when you answer other, I would. I still, I still feel like I have a private life. Um, but again, also you get the weird Superman moments of like, which language do you speak? All of them. I'm gonna call bullshit. I, I bet you don't speak Irish sign language. I'm, I'm gonna just, just stick you down. You don't know that. <laughs> so, well, I, I agree. Does he speak all of them? I do like that. That was a nice nod to how smart Superman is, without right. them saying that Superman is smart. Right. But no, that, for that, the that, and his knowledge is often overlooked, frankly, as a character. But for the truth and justice bit, 
I think part of it also goes back to the controversy about when they removed American Way from Superman because it had been there for so long, but it wasn't how it started. It started with like Truth and Justice. They added the American Way, I want to say, like for the radio serials or something around that yeah. time, and it stuck for about 60 years. I did not enjoy how that was sort of done because it felt a little flippant for a larger conversation that could have been had and gone into. I mean, I agree, but also I think it was framed as there's a certain kind of investigative interview that occurs. Like you can, you can have hostile investigative interviews. And to be fair, we've seen a lot of those lately in our media. So it's hard to remember that you can have respectful interrogative interviews. And I felt like this was trying to shoot for Lois. It's like, it's the, she's playing off of this, but also trying to get more information. Uh, and I felt like that dynamic was built up enough to got that line. It, it was obviously forced, right? It's, it's, it's the, of course we have to say this. Um, and it's frustrating that that happened the way it is. Uh, but it's, if you're going to do the line, there's the best possible way to do that, I think. So yes, it was forced, but where else could you have injected that without it being worse? <laughs> uh, very few other places. Um. So, uh, I mean, honestly, the actual flashbacks things, I, mean, I don't have much to say because it's basically just expanded on either what we know of Superman or we saw in the pilot, which I think is great. Now's the time to do that. I like the fact that he starts to see the seams of it. Um, and by the time I'm getting a little bored with the recap, there's now a mystery of like, why is Clark missing days and what, what's happening here? And the jump, I like this kind of stuff because it's, it's, it's a slight metafictional touch. The jump cuts we see, because that's how television is produced, now become memory lapses that Clark is starting to notice. And I enjoy when you start to play with them. We talked about this in Twin Peaks, when you play with those boundaries a bit. And so there's a brief flirting of the fourth wall. It's like, we didn't go through it, but we're kind of touching it with our hands. It's like, there's the fourth wall here, and then kind of step back from it. So it was a neat little touch. Again, like the actual context around it and, and why it's happening and the metaphor for it, I really liked. It's just that Tal Rose justification of like, I'm trying to understand why you portrayed your race. Like, we had a whole conversation about that last episode. I told you. You could have just asked, buddy. But if you're the villain, you can't trust what the hero is going to tell you. The hero is going to lie because you know that you are going to lie. True, true. And if you see it, then you can say, all right, this is actual truth and facts from his memories that I stole from him. So I know he can't, for can't change it. Uh, and then we get um, a bunch of scenes I'm not a fan of uh, where, and this goes back to what we talked about last episode where Kyle's like, oh no, I'm cured for alien consciousness, everything's fine now, and everyone's like, oh, it's okay now, we, we feel bad for you and not getting a chance to, he apologizes I mean, to his credit, he does apologize to, to Lois, but A, he should apologize to his whole family uh, and B, there's a line missing it couldn't solve the line saying going through this experience made me realize what kind of person I had become and I'm going to do better. Like something like that could have solved all of this one line and it's just not there. It's just, I'm sorry I was alien possessed. And she goes, it's okay. You were alien possessed. But that's what abusers do. They apologize. So then you let your guard back down and they can continue on that cycle. Right. That's also true. It's also true. Uh, so I was frustrating. Um, but again, we see another moment of Sarah going, hey, at least you don't lie to me. 
And my parents are weird, but at least you, my friends, aren't lying to me. And, you know, uh, Jonathan, you know, to his credit, he's been giving his, his brother a lot of stick because that's what you do with brothers, apparently. But um, Sarah's like, hey, can we be alone? And Jonathan's like, cool, I'm out. I got something else to do. <laughs> Have at. And it's like, he knows what's happening. Everyone knows what's happening here. And he's just like, I got to go. Yep, I'm out. Let's go. He's like, cool. So appreciate I, I think my last real big comment is going to be that. So in the episode that I watched, it's another bit about superheroing. It's like episode three. And, the, and it's going to touch on what you're discussing now, though. But the kids, the boys ask, Clark, do you listen to us all the time? And he's like, well, not all the time, smiling. Uh-huh. And they have a big fight family drama it's like all right i won't listen to you anymore well probably not and so they instantly in school they get in trouble and clark shows up and so they have that thing where he's telling them something that they can't trust and the trust thing that you're discussing is a huge issue that they had with him because he was listening in on them until the point where they started doing things to confirm that he wasn't wasn't listening in on them so that reinforces probably one of the reasons why the trust between the three of them is so important and it keeps coming up and they tell each other everything and I do like that actually the, um, the, the quick quote adult storyline is very much involved in misinformation and distrust and not understanding who is really what saying they are. And the teenage storyline is basically we're just going to put it all on the table. Uh, like they didn't inform her about the alien stuff, not because they didn't trust her, but because they wanted, they're trying to do it in waves. Okay. Your dad's not who he says he is. That's, that's a whole stuff taken. Let's, let's save the alien stuff for later. And then they do tell her when she asks, when she's like, okay, what's going on? And they, they do tell her. And they, they Granted, they do that by taking her to a secure military base. But, you know, they still do tell her. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's, it's bizarre that I went into this thinking, I'm going to really hate these kids. And by the end of it, there were some of my favorite characters in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see that Rose's father is also weirdly British and evil. Because British people are evil. Uh, I thought that was a given, right? <laughs> That's why I moved here. <laughs> Eddie's evil origin story begins now. <sighs> um. I did like the fact that, I mean, uh, uh, they use red kryptonite to turn him evil because we saw that in Supergirl. And so it's like, okay, cool. They're, they're keeping at least that mythos stuff consistent. Um, and since he's ostensibly part of the... He is not he is not Supergirl Superman, but he's part of the larger multiverse. So it's like, okay, they're keeping some things kind of a universal constant, so I, I appreciated that. Uh, but the really obvious pair like they like row and Kala both land and they have different things but then now it, we see a continuation of that and it's like every step of the way is an evil version of what clark went through and it's just like we get it he's the dark mirror we know we know <laughs> even his symbol is hope sideways apparently because it's just a, a slightly cockeyed s <sighs> Trying to think of what the hope sideways would be. It's not despair. Hope. Hmm. <laughs> <watching. Oop. laughs> you know, final thoughts. 
the the show was was shot very prettily for the pilot. It's it's okay. I wouldn't watch it. I've watched as much of it, much like you, before we did this. I had not seen this show. And I know that I was the one pushing to make sure that we got it in because it'll it's part of the Arrowverse. I feel that we have to be completionist, much like the animated Constantine I think I pushed for. But mm-hmm. other shows that we watched, it is not the worst. It's not the best. It has some things that I think could be done better, but that's for most of the shows. And But the drama around the writer is definitely one of the main reasons I probably would not continue on with the show. Like that bothers me too much as a person to know what happened to, to them and what they were trying to do for the benefit of a show. I tend to agree. Um, like I said, the last episode, I was like, this is probably my favorite version of Superman. I should have qualified that by saying I'm not really a huge Superman fan. Like I don't seek out Superman media. Um, the only Superman story of any kind that I really loved was All-Star Superman. Uh, again, that was the comic that made me actually realize Superman could be an f- interesting and compelling character. Uh, not everyone's Grant Morrison. Uh, so uh, I'm glad we watched three episodes. We did. Like I said, it, it, it's, it's fine. It is perfectly good television. Uh, and it's been a while in this Arrowverse run since we had a show that we've just been like, yeah, it's okay. I, I guess my additional thought would be now that I'm thinking about it, since he wasn't in the show a lot, I'm curious if there Lex Luthor in their armor came from also uh, John Henry Irons, who was steel for Superman. Mm, maybe. Since they have the Eradicator link, I think there was one other link to another Superman that came after Superman was gone. So I'm just curious if that was their thought behind it. Yeah, honestly, I should probably bring up my DC Infinite subscriptions point and read. I, I should actually read The Death of Superman because I'm curious. I, I know Steel, but I've never really read the origin stuff of that. And like there's Cyborg Superman and other yeah. stuff. And I've always been curious about that. So I should probably actually read that properly at some point. I read it when it came out. So that's why I have a passing knowledge now. Nice. Nice. Uh, so anyway, uh, where are we going to watch next time? We're done with the Arrowverse, right? There's there's no more left. We're done. Well, we, we've got the thrilling conclusion of the season. But as I said, we're completionist here. <laughs> uh, I've also decided with Eddie's agreement that we should now do star girl season one, because while it didn't start on the CW, I think it transitioned to the CW for its second and third seasons. So completionist that we are. So we're going to start with star girl season one, episode one pilot star girl season one, episode six, the justice society and round it off with season one, episode 10 brainwave junior. You can find it in the U S on HBO max and the UK for some reason is an Amazon exclusive. So, figure streaming rights is going to be an ongoing thing, but it's going to be, it's always fascinating. It's like, you could just keep going to HBOX. I'm like, okay, let's, what streaming service this week will I find the show that we're going to watch on? <laughs> well, while HBO Max is still there, it's a burning fire. I think it'll soon be gone. So, we'll no, see what happens. It's, it's going to become Max now. Well, that doesn't make me feel any better either. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, we'll see you all in a week. We talk about Star Girl. Catch you later. Be seeing you.